All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland and our guest Thomas Prower. And we're going to start out talking about his book, Queer Magic. Uh, you know, I almost got distracted. You have another book I'm very interested in, Morbid Magic, which, uh, you know, uh, if we don't have time to get to today, believe me, I would love to talk about that because, uh, you know, morbid is definitely... Our two favorite things, more being morbid and magic. So yeah, yeah. kind of covered all the bases here. <laughs> right. So um, <clears throat> the case of queer magic, I, I was reading about this and it seems to be a lot of the history of, um, you know, queerness throughout the history with, with uh, deities and, and heroes and, and historical figures like your book says, but then it also includes spells and and stuff like that. So really, what is the connection that we're getting at here with queer magic? Uh, queer magic is meant to be essentially a springboard for everything queer and like the mystical community. Mm-hmm. So it has both the history of where queer people were back throughout time, because it's, it's strange when you look into it, um, having this kind of like, oh, they're not really fully men or they're not really fully women. In a lot of cultures around the world, it was regarded as just, oh, they must be in touch with the divine. They must have some magic powers. They must be magically different somehow. So a lot of queer people throughout history were like shamans, magic workers, spellcasters who could get in touch with that, you know, that je ne sais quoi. And it's, it's just everywhere. So with this book, especially being a Llewellyn book, um, it needs some like explicit magic in, in there for the audience. <laughs> So it's it's a mix of history. It goes over what's been happening where throughout history, all over the world. It gives you practical spells, tips, tricks, and stuff that you can do on your own. It also has people from all over the world in the book that I invited to write what it's like being a queer person in this region of the world, in this religion. So you have stories of how some are magic workers and how they use their magic and you know living as a muslim in india you have people who are queer people living in heavily confucius inspired japan and it's their stories because it's you know i mean look at me i look straight out of dublin so i can't just be <laughs> writing everyone's story about what it is i get yeah, facts no, of right i'm half mexican but that's I'm not the United Nations in and of itself. So it's right. It's the springboard to just, here's everything, 101. We're going to go through it real fast. Whatever you like, explore on your own. And here's some tips and tricks on how to find more too. Yeah. Well, let's, um, let's start at the beginning because, you know, as soon as you said going back in history, you know, it, the automatic question that it prompts for me is, is there a connection between queerness and the occult on a mystical level, or was it forced on them due to them being, um, for lack of a better word, the first definition of queer in the dictionary? Were they so odd that people forced them into this world, or, or, or is there, was there maybe a connection that put them? It's it's both really because if you really want to get like down to the psychology of it. Mm-hmm. It's um, the way society perceives you kind of has an effect on your own subconscious and of who you are. Yeah, if you have like Mesopotamia where you have people first coming together to create urban civilization, all these roles in society are brand new. It's everyone's just starting out. So everyone's kind of seeing, you know, we don't have to hunt. We don't have to gather anymore. What else do I do with my time? Mm-hmm. What else am I good at? And people start saying, oh, well, you're different in this way. So maybe it's because of this magical power you have. And then people think, I have a magical power. Maybe I do have a magical power. And then yeah. they start exploring like that. that. You know, it's like kids. It's like, you're really good at this. You can do this. Mm. And that inspires them to really look into it. So I'm sure a lot of people inherently had it. And those are probably the people that excelled. But sometimes it takes society saying, you're good at this. Or have you looked into this? And they look into it themselves for the first time because they have to be explicitly told by someone else. You might not realize. Right. So a bit of both. A bit of both. Right. I, so, I, I see the comparison, not a lot different than uh, racial stereotypes, forcing abilities onto people that, that they're grow up 
grow up feeling confident in, you know, what were you about to say, Kara? Well, so just for our, our listeners, what are some of the cultures we're talking about here? Because I think a lot of people who aren't like queer and gr- grow up in sort of a Western background are going to be really surprised to hear that historically there's any connection between being queer and being spiritual, because like in predominantly Christian culture, it's like, you know, what religion has to say about being queer is that it's bad, basically. But that's obviously not the case everywhere. So, it's not. I mean, even on a, even on a brief interlude to that, even in Christianity, it wasn't because early, early Christianity, um, when it was you know the being thrown in the lion's den, the heavy Roman persecution. When you're that small and you're that beat upon by the man. You take what you can get. So they were not picky on who joined. You know, they weren't going to oh. say, "Oh, here we're this, we're this small rabble rousing people starting a new religion." Oh, but your sexuality is like that. We we can't accept you right now. Oh, that's that didn't start happening until you get powerful, and when you are powerful, you can kind of start to pick and choose. Mm. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, but even, <laughs> but back to it. <laughs> That's, I mean, is, it's disturbing that it makes a lot of sense, but it does. I mean, if yeah. the, an- the answer to every question is, are you in power or are you not in power? And then that defines on how you do your trajectory, especially with queerness. Um, but right. even inherently in a lot of religions around the world, and when I say a lot, I mean pretty much everything, down from, you know, tribal religions in... Um, North America, Amazon down in South America. I mean, the book goes over everything. We go through prehistory. We go through all the Middle East, all of Sub-Saharan Africa, all the major religions you've heard of, all the religions you've kind of heard of. And then just different cultural traditions takes on it. So any place in the world that you can think of, not only is it have some sort of queer history, but it's also in the book. And, you know, it's not a voluminous compendium. So... It's, it's a little look at everything, but there's, there's stuff out there if you're willing to look and if you're willing to dig, that's the important part. Yeah. So relating queerness to magic really is something that's sort of ubiquitous throughout history. It is. It really is. And what's tricky about when looking into queer history, which is also kind of like, you know, eye roll, like, really? Really? Is that you have a lot of history that's written, and I won't say like queerness is just fully erased. But it's right. these weird mental gymnastics that people yeah. have to go through, especially like our Sappho and her friend. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> there was this famous case in, um, back in Victorian Britain when they were uncovering all these Egyptian tombs and they found this mm-hmm. grand one with, you know, two men inside this gilded sarcophagus and two men were painted all over the sanctum walls and, you know, with their noses together. And, you know, now we look at them and we're like, oh, well, they were probably lovers. And all the, right. all the art, they're obviously <laughs> lovers. You know what they said? The official explanation was, oh, these must be conjoined twins. Oh, even no. Though, even though <laughs> the logic, yeah, they sure you know, are conjoined mean? if you want to. Yeah, they were 50% yeah. right. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and that's, but that's yeah. the thing. It, it's a lot, of, a lot of history. It's just, it's there, but it's not fully there. So, I mean, right. a lot of historical right. figures were quite queer and it's just not written about i mean you have king richard mm-hmm. the lionheart you have many of the samurai of japan you have just tons and tons of people tons of saints it's i would guess written. i would guess that a big part of the reason why is like if we go back and uh you know let's make the comparison to um to a race you know we go back to to black history even though it's it's fragmented by the destruction of a lot of history, there is a linear path. But in the case of queerness, um, it's, it's a fractured history no matter what, because it affects everybody, but it's not a linear path. Like, you know, uh, my dad was gay, I'm not gay. You know, it's not, it's not that way. And so, uh, you know, it's, it probably, because earlier when you were talking about it, you, you sort of made the the joke of rolling your eyes like people wouldn't take it seriously. And, and maybe one of those reasons why is because it's fractured throughout history. It's not a linear path. Yeah, it's, it gets really squiggly. It gets very spaghetti-like because when you're talking about queerness, it, it's, more, it's, it's very difficult because you can't, I mean, you can't just 
for certain people you can, but you can't to everyone with 100% say, that's a queer person. Right. So what is a queer person? And then what is defined as queer, what we call it today, it's not the same thing it was 100 years ago. It's not the same thing it was <laughs> not even. years ago. It's not even oh. really the same thing it was like 10 years ago. Like the word queer itself, like even today is like, should we use this for this community? Should we use this for that? So, you know. Exactly. So imagine <laughs> the millennia of that. Right. And on yeah. top of that, this discussion is going on in every single culture. So in every single culture, queerness is different. The debate on what is queerness is different. So it's really hard to get a united front on what is queerness. And in India right now, um, it's really tricky because they have, they have, you know, three official genders, um, you know, male, female, right. and then this kind of like third gender. In the West, we would consider, we would consider them transgender women, but it's a whole right. special it's gender. It's its own thing. Itself. Yeah. So when the people are trying to fight for transgender rights, it doesn't include these people. So right. do, you, do you include those people to give them the rights? When you fight for queer rights, do you, are these people included in it? Do they get benefited from it? Do they have special laws? And it's weird because when you deal with the law, everything has to be black and white. There can be no gray in order for judgments to be ruled. Laws have to be written in black and white. So when you have something as right. nebulous and gray as queerness, and you have to make fundamental black and white decisions on that, interfighting happens. And then that scale multiplies, multiplies, multiplies. It, what is queerness? What is queerness in this religion, in this cultural context, in this society at this time? And you can't pinpoint it down. So it's, it's, it's fascinating, but it's very spaghetti mm -hmm. tricky. Yeah, that's that's funny because um, before we even had this interview, and you know maybe I should include this for other for other cis straight people out there like myself, I had to quiz Kara a little bit to make sure that I was right on what I thought queer meant. Because, you know, like a lot of people. Literally right before the show started, he's right like, before, okay, well, so quizzed my wife queer, what, what does queer mean, Kara? I'm like, well, that's what the show is about. And then it's like, no, but seriously, I don't want to look like an idiot. Right, well, you know, I grew up and to me, queer was synonymous with gay right? in, in the world that I grew up in. It was not synonymous with, with lesbian, transgender, any of the other, it was specifically gay men that it was synonymous with to me in my world of my upbringing. But, you know, um, obviously that's not the case now or it wouldn't be included with gay in, in the, the letters. So, um, when we're talking about queer, we're, we're looking at, and, and this is not me telling you or really asking you, I'm just trying to help the audience understand that we're talking about um, gender and sexuality outside of what is the norm in, throughout history. Is that, uh, and I air quoted the norm for anybody who's not watching. <laughs> but that's pretty much what we're getting at here. And, and correct me if I'm wrong of course, before I go on. No, I mean, it, it's, it's tricky. I mean, even if I say like, this is what queer is, it's really just my idea of it because right. e even nowadays, I mean, you have people who read queer magic and it's like, that's offensive. That's a slur. Well, it is a slur. I mean, it is. I mean, if some, if some, yeah. if some you know, very straight man looked at me and was like queer, he did not okay. mean that in a friendly way. He did no. not mean that in a friendly way. No, right. unless but, he was some sort of 1800s uh, British um, investigator and he was uh, queer, acknowledging a queer. clue. He's all very queer. Yes. Where were you on the night of the 21st? Right. Don't leave the hotel until we have this sorted. Exactly. I mean, everything, everything depends on who says it, how they say it, why they say it. If you, right. if I, you know, the way I do it is if when people come to you and they honestly have a question and it might be offensive, you know, I might be the only person that they're like, I need to ask this question. You know, like when you need to ask medical questions online because you don't want to ask people. So you like look it up and it's like, is this it? Those anonymous right. doctor questions. Sure. It's a lot of things. Because yeah. if you have people who are just really scared to ask questions, they'll never get answers. Oh, you know, absolutely. I lean heavily on my friends of 
different genders, races, my, my wife, who's obviously a woman and I am a man, I have to lean heavily on her for some information on 50% of the damn population, you know? So it's like, you know, uh, absolutely, you know, but it's, it's the friendships and the intentions there. Like, uh, you know, there's no such thing as a bad word. It's just the intentions, you know, every word. I mean, if you get rid of it, you, you get rid of the history associated with it. And that's, now, that's true. That's true. In the case of the the third gender, this is something I've heard a lot about from um, Native American tribes. I'm sure it's just some, uh, you know, we kind of suffer from clumping them into one culture when really there were hundreds. But um, this third gender, it's interesting because, okay, so again, if I get offensive, let's, let's do this. Uh, Historically, we'll execute you summarily, and I'll take over the interview. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> historically, gay <laughs> men. Historically, gay men have been much more prevalent throughout history. You know, one assumption to that could be that men have more power, and therefore could get away with it. You know, uh, the other could be that maybe it's more common. Um, this. Where am I going with this? This third gender, like you're saying, in these other cultures, you know, is is there some connection there? And and why is that so much more common throughout history of men being the queer? <laughs> I, I think not wording plus, this very well, very you well very much. Yes. No, I, I, I totally get. I totally get what you mean. Yeah. Um, the, I, I think, I think you hit it on the head, and it diverts into a couple different things. But I really do think it's about power, because um, when you have the p- power, you write the history, and you have, you know, especially when I was looking through like the ancient and the the oldest of the old and all these cultures where men really had the power, they're not going to write about women. I mean, right. because it would, it would be the same to them as writing the history of what that chair did on an everyday. Women sure. were property, right. straight up. It was The just history not of livestock, right. Yeah, just not even worth being thought of. So a lot of stuff could have happened. It's just that it wasn't recorded and we don't know about it because it's, we, don't, we don't know the average life of a chair, you know, mm-hmm. back in ancient Greece. Right. So what, so that's part of it. But the other thing is that I wouldn't say it's more common, but again, when you're in a p- position of power, things are more okay. You know, like when a very wealthy person does something very weird, they're just eccentric. When a poor sure. person does it, they're crazy. So when you have this person, you're in a position of power and you want to fool around, it's okay. You'll justify it. It'll start being work its way into the religion. It'll start working its way into the laws. It'll start working its way into different things. And you can be more out and open with it because, you know, if you're the king or you're the ruling class, what's anyone going to say about it, you know? Right. So it's a lot more visible because they can afford to be visible because there's not going to be as much backlash of it. Now, how visible are we talking, you know? Um, as somebody growing up learning about this, a lot of people, at least in my age bracket, you know, people, uh, I'd like to think my kids are a hell of a lot more educated about this stuff than I was. And, um, you know, my, my, my dad didn't even come out until after my mom, uh, died and I was 18. My brother was in his early twenties, although we had some idea prior to that, but he didn't actually come out open about it until my mother had died. Um, so we didn't get quite the education that one might have thought. And so I'm curious, most of us and our first historical education on this was that it was openly accepted in Greece and Rome. But how openly accepted? You know, when we say openly accepted, that makes one think like, oh, you see a couple on the road, there might be two men, there might be two women, there might be a man and a woman. That's openly accepted. We're all fine with it. You know, but how openly accepted are we talking? Um, it's, it's tricky to answer, which is not a cop-out question, but it's... it's just, oh, no, it's fine. I understand. It, it, it's it's a, real tricky because back then, even the idea of... The, the idea of queerness, it wasn't something that you were... Like in ancient Greece and Rome, being queer, queerness was a verb. It's what you did. And 
but especially in ancient Greece, that makes sense. The genders were separated, like unless they were like eating, you know, the last night dinner and they were going to bed. The genders were separated. Women stayed exclusively with women, and men stayed exclusively with men. Sounds and like so, hell. when that happens, other things start happening. Right. And so relationships start feeling if your entire life is surrounded by men and that's all, you know, growing up and you only see, you know, a woman when you go home and go to sleep and you might even be sleeping with them. It's, it's more seen, it's more accepted as okay. And you start having it. What was not okay is that because this is a verb in those times is that in this, this thing still, still lingers on to today and in cultures all over the world, but if you are the top, that is okay. If you are, you know, the penetrator, if you are the person who is the active partner, the person, oh, that's power. okay because you are dominant. You're you the are person perceived as being in power, you know? Yeah. Cause it, it, and it goes back to, it goes back to a lot of misogyny because if you're the, if you are the receiving partner, you are a woman and being a woman, that is what's bad. Yeah. So it, it's, it's, strange. it's a, it's a really interesting comparison because the world, uh, you know, as a cisgender man who's married, I'm sure a lot of people realize that, uh, you know, I may have all the power in the world and stuff like that, uh, compared to women and, and other stuff like that. But when it comes to sexuality in my household, I have none, <laughs> you know, I'm available. You just tell me when you're ready. That's that's the way these things tend to work. I, I don't really have much power in, in that situation, you know. So it's it's interesting um, the way we look at that or, or, you know, and I realize there's a lot of arguments there about the exercise of power and the taking advantage of people and stuff like that. But for, for any happily married person out there, we, we find that to be a little bit humorous because we're all like, oh, uh, that's not the case now. But, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully you can see the joke in this. <laughs> um, so, you know, but the normality of it, you know, they would have us believe that part of the coming of age was doing that, that, you know, I, I can't tell what I hear is propaganda when it comes to that um, part of history, the Greeks and the Romans, and and what is the reality of the, the situation, but, but people would have me believe that it was a coming of age, uh, ritualistic aspect of their lives and everybody's life, at least in the, uh, in the soldier class. It, it was to an extent because we're getting my laptop. It, I was to an extent because when I, um, when you really look into it, um, they had these relationships, which would not, not be okay today, but um, it was seen as mentorship, where an older man would kind of be the mentor, the teacher, the tutor to a younger person to right. make them, you know, instruct them in the arts, instruct them in the arts of war, and instruct them in how to be an adult citizen in Greece. But that also involved helping them become a man, you know, sexually. Right. So you had people who would guide these young boys, you know, through what we, we, we would consider elementary school up in, through high school. And, you know, a lot of changes happen and they would be the first one and they would teach you, this is how you make love to a man. They would not be okay today, but back right. then it was very ritualistic in that sense. Not, not just the sexuality of it, but because it was part of this entire mentorship acolyte process right okay so so it was it was somewhat normalized maybe not walking in the streets but it was normalized in society and something that everybody was aware of at least during portions of that history i realized we're looking at you know a thousand years or something you know there there was ebbing and flowing throughout their culture i'm sure so getting back to magic um you know how much of this carries over to today? Is there a, I realize that you don't have the statistics to, to answer this, but would you say that today that there are a larger number of people who have grown up in these, what we're going to call marginalized by the rest of the world, um, a more connection to the paranormal and the spiritual 
than others, because most spiritual religious people are going to say that anybody who's queer has no connection. But well, yeah, I mean, if they're evangelicals or whatever. <laughs> well, I would say a lot of religions nowadays, you know, because, yeah, uh, you know, back then, like Thomas was saying, a lot of these religions were new and, and starting. But today we don't seem to have a lot of weak religions that people are hearing about. I mean, uh, if you're hearing about it on the news, they've been big and powerful for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Um, what is a that's a good question. OK, Karen, perfect. What is a big religion today that is okay with this and maybe even glorifies? Um, I probably wouldn't say glorifies, but um, one of the big religions that's really okay with it is, um, well, no, I can't, I can't even say that because if every religion is, it's, it's, in order for religion to be really big, it's actually existed for a long time. And every religion that has existed for a long time has been fractured in some way, in some denomination. Right. Sure. So um, you could say Judaism is, but then you could only say Reformed Judaism is, which is a lot, of, a lot of people, but it's not Judaism. Buddhists are okay with it, but not all branches of, of Buddhism. Taoism super okay with it, but then about 50% super aren't. Then you have like, you know, what kind of Christianity are you talking about? what kind um it's again it's really tricky if you have um the the if you want to talk about ones that are absolutely okay with it 100 percent, you would have to look to the religions created by the african slave trade you know the new world kind of african diaspora religions um you're talking about voodoo you're talking about santeria you're talking about candomblé down in brazil and those were are were and are very very open and very accepting of queerness. I mean, you, it's interesting and it's, and their populations are very high percentage queer. Um, and there's a lot of theories on it, but one, one of the big ones is that the places where those exist, so like Haiti, the Caribbean, Brazil, it is not okay to be a queer person at all. But here's this religion where it's super okay. And so if you grow up in that society, you kind of gravitate towards those religions and want to be in it, if not just because it's an oasis of just being yourself. Right. You have the trans, yeah, you have the trance rituals and like Santeria and Voodoo, you know, where the, the deities, you invoke them, they come in you, they ride you. And if you are, you know, a cisgender male and you invoke a female deity, you will start acting a feminine. That, fem- that feminine energy will overpower you and you'll start doing things as a woman. You'll start acting womanly mm-hmm. and you have to be okay with that. Same thing with women. And it's just this whole idea of gender is this, but it's also not this. And it's very fluid. And to allow the deities to come into you, you have to be okay with that kind of sexuality and expressing that sexuality because you have to let completely go of who you are, which includes not only your mind and thinking, but the way you perceive yourself sexually, the way you perceive your own gender, you have to completely let go of it all. Your biases and prejudices and everything. Yeah. So So, yeah, those are, those are real, very big 100% we support. So do we think these religions sort of evolve, have evolved that way because because the larger society is so accepting and so they wanted to sort of appeal to people who would be marginalized from the mainstream anyway, or, or is it sort of actually, okay. Interesting. Uh, Cause if, you know, when the, when the slaves were, you know, back in slave days, um, they didn't have much power at all. And again, right. you talk about, you know, early Christianity where, you know, when you're very oppressed and you're very small, you take what you can get. So if you, you have this, you know, it's just you and the other people on this plant, on the sugar plantation in Haiti, mm-hmm. you know, and you cannot fight amongst yourselves. You cannot divide yourselves. So you just take everyone in and everyone becomes part of the team because what's bigger than your sexuality is this real tough struggle. You're all in and you're all in the same position. You're all in the same change. You're all out there in the fields. And that kind of, struggle supersedes the idea of oh but you kind of like these kind of people you're sexually attracted to these people um so it was just the solidarity of this is who we are and 
being accepted. So it, it sort of became inclusive because they couldn't afford not to be inclusive is what you're saying. It definitely amplified. And even if you go back further, you know, because these, these religions came from sub-Saharan Africa, mm-hmm. it was totally okay in sub-Saharan Africa. I mean, these queer oh. deities, this invocation of selves, it was absolutely 100% okay. So it starts off as being okay, you know, in Africa. It gets transported across the Atlantic and right. here, and you have these small people who's like, look, we have this shared history of our past. We're in it together. It's just us against the man. Why are we fighting amongst ourselves? Right. Survival is much more important. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Especially during a time when, when, uh, well, you had to work all day to feed yourself. You know, now one, I, I always make this comparison to say that money is screwed up because, you know, back then one man would work all day to feed himself and his family would work all day to feed themselves. And now one man makes enough milk for 5,000 people. You know, why are we working all day, toiling all day in a world where that's supposed to be alleviated by technology? But back then, you had to work all day to take care of yourself, you know, and you had to work as a group to survive. And so I totally get what you're saying. It's like, you have no choice. It's band together or die. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, again, and even amplify that, like back in the, you know, the Caribbean where you're not even, you're not even harvesting your own food. You're harvesting sugar for back in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> you know? right, right. So it's like you double, gotta- double backbreaking. You're, you're surviving and you're paying for their luxuries. Yeah, it, it's, it's really tricky. And the, the, probably the most controversial thing about the survival topic and queerness is that why does it even exist at all? I mean, shouldn't it be evolutionary? What purpose does it serve? You can't, you know, naturally right. reproduce. How does it keep happening? And that's the argument that a lot of um, some religions have, like where it is not natural because it serves no evolutionary purpose. And the argument against that is, well, it has to because it keeps popping yeah. up. Otherwise, it wouldn't exist at all. It would have been just wiped by the roadside genetically. And it's, it's one of those things where, and it's done in every religion, even in, even in you know, the pagan queer community, where is this natural or is it not natural? Because when you have like the very earth-based religions, where everything is based on nature, based on the holiness of how the world naturally mm-hmm. is, the argument of, is this natural? And it's really, it's really strange when you talk about queerness and being natural because you run into that whole argument and it's just like. Well, I would say by that, ar- I would say by that argument, even asking if it's natural, it's unnatural. All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland. And our guest, Thomas Prower, we're talking about his new book, Queer Magic. And, uh, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've spent a lot of time talking about the, the history and the queerness of the topic, but not a huge amount of time on the magic. So, you know, when, when I think of magic, at least, I think of, like, light and dark magic, and, and maybe that's a little, uh, a little uh, high fantasy of me or something, right? <laughs> You know, is is there a specific type of magic or attitude of magic that queer people throughout history have been associated with? We we obviously, right before the break, we talked about uh, conjuring and mediumship, which made a lot of sense when you put it that way, because they have to be able to to um, characterize uh, whoever's coming through without any bias. But uh, you know, is there? Is there an evil associated with it or a positiveness or, or does that change from culture to culture or is that not really there? I mean, not only does that change from culture to culture, but even, even when you talk about what magic is and you get into the fine details of it, like it's everything's up for grabs. But if you want to talk about one thing specific, like throughout all the cultures, again, it's been that, divine intercessor it's being the one people who can connect with the other world which can in a way be light and dark if you say that you know they can reach the gods above they're more in touch with that spirituality 
they're in touch with this other dimension of, you know, the heavenly beings, but they're also in touch with the other side of the veil, you know, the underground, the ancestors, the dead, um, just anything that's in this, what we would say like an other dimension, they can kind of transcend that. They can cross these, you know, boundaries and borders because they're seen as more, more fluid. They're seen as not one thing, you know, cause they're not men, but they're not women. So what are they? Right. You know, it's the way I've, heard it explain and correct me if this is wrong but it's sort of like queer people throughout history have sort of been seen as being in two categories at once and so they've sort of been like okay that that obviously makes you someone who is in a liminal state by your very nature you know you're you're automatically just in in multiple categories and and therefore that that crosses over to magic too is that sort of what the logic was. It is because I, going back to it again, when um, it's how, it's how society sees you because queer right. people in, in everywhere have always been a minority. And mm-hmm. when the, the magical systems, the rules and how we're going to manifest things start getting to play um, majority opinion rules. And so if majority sure. opinion says these people are good at this, that kind of becomes the default accepted norm over 10 years, over a century, over a millennium. See, what's weird to me, though, is that people who aren't queer, because they are the majority, would sort of choose to give queer people the power in this way. Like, you know, they they would choose to elevate people who are not them to high positions in society in many cases, shamans and whatnot, because they're different. That's like... It's, it's, it's very strange. It's tricky because it's not always a good thing. Um, it depends on where in the world you talk about. Like if you talk about okay. Siberia, the Chuchki tribe, um, the queer shamans are the most powerful because they have the power of men and they have the power of women and the power of the unknown. You know, so no one wants to mess with them. But right. that's, it's, you know, it's, oh, I have all this power, but it's also very lonely at the top. A lot of them don't have friends. A lot of them are ostracized because everyone's so scared of their power. So it's like, oh, that's we'll interesting. You when we need something, but like, huh. don't, don't stay away, stay away. So it's, it's like vampire hunters in Eastern Europe who are thought to be half vampire. And so they were they way to were bring it in valued, valued for their ability to kill vampires, but also ostracized for their unholy heritage. It's, yes, got to connect everything to vampires somehow. Thank you. I did it for this episode. I'm good. I did, I'm the, I did my goal. That's your one per list. Yeah, um, exactly. Check that off. So, um, you know, but it's, I'm assuming it's not always so black and white because if you think about uh, musicians and artists, here's an area where where being gay or being queer was was maybe a little more outwardly shown and in certain aspects, they were considered greats. And in other aspects, that very same person might be under the boot heel of somebody in power who, who belittles them. And that boot heel is accepted by the people around them. Do you get what I'm saying with this? Uh, I don't know if I'm explaining this very well, but in one aspect of their life, they are glorified. Mm-hmm. But in the other aspect, they're very much not. It's, it's true. And again, you know, it's impossible to speak of like generalities with this, but um, what's, what's real tricky and always like important to remember is that a lot of times when people look back at history or they think back to the past, even the recent past, they look at it from a very modern perspective. So they have like, this is what, this is what queer is. And this is like the power struggle. So this is how it must've been, you know, 500 years ago. And the entire way society relates to itself is different. I mean, again, back to ancient Mesopotamia, when you're writing the very first laws in Hammurabi's code, and it's like, okay, everyone, we need to have some sort of structure and how we're going to do this. Nothing about queerness is mentioned. Scholarly research on that says that it's because it was just such a mundane, accepted fact of life that it's, it wouldn't need to be regulated. You know, it was just like, right. oh we don't need to talk about it because it's not a big thing. But the argument could also be made that it was shunned and they didn't want to talk about it. It's true. It's true. And again, it's, there's really hard, it's hard to get pinpoint definitive answers. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you have those kind of like discussions and you have those kinds of talks, 
you have you have to look at it from not only that perspective but remember that that perspective also wasn't the perspective it's a it's a weird rabbit hole of like placing your mind outside yourself and in this group but then you also have to put your mind in this other group that was there but we right. only have so much information and of course of course got to got to do some queer channeling in order to understand yeah. the nature <laughs> of queerness it's just you got to chicken or the egg kind of problem. Um, I'm totally on a different thing. Go ahead. I'm on Tumblr a lot. I feel like most of the queer people I know there are witches. Is that, is this becoming like a thing in Western culture? Are, Are queer people more drawn to the occult or am I in a weird witchy bubble, which I probably am anyway, but. I don't think it's they're drawn to the occult so much as, um, it's, they're drawn to the punk rock ostracizedness of it because if that's you, fair you look <laughs> the rock community, you know, a lot more accepting you look in, you mm-hmm. know, even, you know, the vampire communities, yeah, a that's lot true. More accepting a lot. All these ostracized groups kind of see another outsider and it's like, okay, you're one of us. We're all weird. We're all different for different reasons. We don't care. Right. We're, we're the outsiders. We're the misfits. Yeah, that tracks. That makes sense. You know, and, and the the punk rock comparison, growing up playing in bands in a small town, <clears throat> um, we would have shows and there would be a punk band and acoustic acts, some ska band, and, and you know, th- there would be basically all these small scenes that had no followings would band together and you would get the craziest eclectic shows that seemed perfectly normal at the time. But, but if you were going to a larger town where there were these larger scenes, you know, you wouldn't see a hardcore straight edge band playing with a, a, a super drunk gutter punk band, but, but in the small town they would because you know, who else are you going to play with? Where else are you going to find the venue and so on and so forth. So that makes sense that, that, the marginalized, I don't even know if that's the best word to use. It's just that uh, people band together to create larger groups of safety and security and success. Yeah. And the other big part of it is that um, magic is very powerful. It, even, even if you cannot affect magic in the world, having that sense of feeling powerful is very important and very attractive to people who are told they're no good to people who are said, you have no power, you are evil, you're bad. Suddenly you find this kind of like worldview and this practice system wherein you can not only have power, but you can affect the world around you in a very physical way. And that attracts a lot of people who are, you know, outcasts, a lot of people who are put down by society, just that sense of, finding power again and witchcraft offers that. So you get all these, all these sites coming in and the queer minority just kind of just fits in all of them. (laughs) That's interesting because in this discussion, we've kind of hit a, a, a weird split. And that's maybe an interesting point that had happened in history where historically speaking, the odd and the strange were forced into these roles And then at some point in history, it seems to have switched to a place where the odd and the put outside found safety in these roles. Because it seems to say that in the beginning, at the beginning evolution of this, it was society that saw these people as different and said, whoa, you go there, you know, and uh, now people say, I'm different. Oh, I'm going to go here, you know, and it's like, I don't know, it's a, it's an interesting change where maybe there was no change at all it's just a change of our perspective i imagine some some self-selection has always happened but yeah, yeah you're right yeah. it's interesting yeah i mean like nowadays we in our modern world we have the luxury where different is good I mean, if you're going back then mm-hmm. the earliest times being different looking different oh that was bad in any yeah. sort of way oh you have this weird little deformity oh you must be from the devil oh yeah Hair lip. this curse on you <laughs> Oh, you must be part of this other tribe that we hate. You know, it's right. being different was a liability. It yeah, was, hair lip was a sign of like the devil and uh, all sorts of just weird, weird stuff. Yeah, the, man, we're terrible throughout history. We have just been terrible. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but I guess there's some positivity to say that throughout history we have survived and gotten slightly better. So we may not be that terrible. It might just be like a like a 50 and a half percent versus 49 and a half percent. So we just need a couple more million years and we'll be someplace good as it takes over. But 
I don't know. Looking back at history definitely makes me think how, how terrible we are. I mean, looking at the world today, I think oh, we're not so good. But if you look back in history, uh, whew, people yeah. were very, very disposable. Oh, oh, yes. Oh, yes. So in the case of growing up in these other cultures today, I'm kind of curious about other countries. So you you said that you reached out to other religions. I assume some of those came from other countries. Um, I think we're all aware that there's probably a lot of negativity in those other countries when it comes to this. Um, but are there any really sort of positive ones, ones where we wouldn't expect it to be okay for somebody, and it was? Oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> the hard and fast Squash answer is... That <laughs> Getting a little hopeful with that one, Chance. That's a no. <laughs> it, it's, it's a whole weird shift that's kind of happened in the world. And it, it's, it's really weird to talk about this. So I've, uh, the, back, in, back in ancient times, a lot of the countries, a lot of the cultures that we would consider nowadays, you know, being very unfriendly, Mm-hmm. It was reversed. They were the most accepting. They were the most friendly ones. I mean, if you talk about, you know, tough where it's re- places where it is real tough being a queer person, you talk about nowadays sub-Saharan Africa, you talk about the Middle East, you talk about Polynesia, you yeah. talk about all these different places where it's real hard. Those were the real accepting places. And their organic religions, the tribal religions, the native religions, native beliefs, queerness was very accepted. But it wasn't okay in very Christian Europe. Then missionaries came, colonization happened, erased the history, and just like, no, it's bad. So nowadays you have this weird, reverse, bizarre world where now in Europe and the quote-unquote, you know, industrialized nations, it's okay. But in the places where originally wasn't okay, it's not okay. Because Mm -hmm. they're going back on a belief that was taught to them during a time it wasn't okay by people who thought it wasn't okay, though they think it's okay now. And it's just a, it's just a shift. The places that are not okay now originally were very okay. So and, imperialism went in there, dropped their crap on them and left without updating oh, any of the information. Oh, it, yeah. I mean, but it's, it's <laughs> severe to the point where it, it, it boggles your mind because you have these places, native places, defending. <clears throat> it's, not, it's never been okay here. It has never existed here. Because in the Bible, it said it wasn't. But the Bible is a very Middle Eastern kind of book. And so it, it's just, it's weird the mental gymnastics people can play. But, um, well, yeah, I mean, Africa, Polynesia, the Middle East, Native America, those were all originally very okay places. Very okay places. Just not so much nowadays. You know, what, what names throughout, um, you know, in, in your book description, we're talking about um, heroes and gods throughout history. Let's, let's go with gods. What, what gods would stick out in your mind as being fitting the criteria of what we're talking about? You know, I'm, I'm assuming that in having some queerness to them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's the obvious Whatever that ones means to that us, are maybe yeah. a little bit insulting. There are the obvious ones. There's a Loki, Hermaphrodite. <laughs> Hermaphrodite would be one of them. Was a character, was a person, not a not a god. I don't think, but Loki. Loki, Loki was definitely very queer. I mean, he, I'm, uh, he was I'm shattered. Heck. <laughs> you didn't know that. Everyone knows that. I've seen Tom Hiddleston. I knew that. Loki is a gender fluid icon. Yeah. Oh, he, I mean, yeah, I didn't know much about it. Yeah. If if you look into like the prose and the poetic eddas of it all, well, you know, the Icelandic tales of Loki, um, there's this very famous scene where um, he's essentially the plot is that all, all the gods are calling Loki out for being a weird trickster and like, stop it, you know, stop being <laughs> such a troublemaker. So mm-hmm. then this council, and they're calling him out and he's just like, well, look who's talking and kind of just like goes back on everyone and essentially gets to Odin and is like, it's interesting how you know this kind of magic that you can only get via a ceremony where you have to bottom as a woman. That's oh, really yeah. Odin, too. So, you know, and Odin's like, oh, oh. It's, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of that going on. 
that's interesting because I look at North mythology. I think a lot of people look at North myth- right. Norse mythology as being like the manliest of mythologies. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's I mean in in um like we're talking about like Viking era culture of Scandinavia. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, being queer was absolutely not okay. Being a woman was absolutely not okay. But the most powerful people were lesbian women, just because of the ratio of women. If you have so many women, because women are so hated in society that you only have this small number of women you can marry. If she's a lesbian and you marry her, you can't divorce her. And she knows that. And so you have these women going off saying, look, I'm going to have an extra marital affair with this other woman. You are not going to divorce me because what other chance of getting another woman do you got? Right. You want to have an heir, you're going to put up That's with this. That's amazing. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Yeah. Whatever works. Funny. Whatever works. All right, well... I'm listening. Oh, yeah, I mean, there's so many like um, Amaterasu, the sun goddess in Japan. Um, she has she's a very like self-hating queer deity, but she's very queer, oh. very attractive. Yeah, I mean, it, self-hating it for being God. queer or self-hating. Amaterasu from some therapy. I mean, she, really, she doesn't like queerness, but she's also very queer, and it's like okay when she does it, but it's not okay when the other <laughs> gods do it. Yeah. Kind of a way. Mm-hmm. It, very human, very petty. <laughs> right. Very petty. Uh, Amazing yeah. how all these gods are so petty. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have um what was his name? You have Krishna in the Hindu cultures, who's um was this god of love, among other things, but the pure essence of love, where it doesn't matter what you look like, it doesn't matter your sexuality. I mean, he loves you. He loves you platonically, he loves you romantically, he loves you sexually. He is just love incarnate. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And um, there's, certain, um, there's certain branches within Hinduism, because Hindu- Hinduism is a spaghetti mess in and of itself, like what the lineation of the gods and what is official. But there's, there's certain religions where you can, a man, cisgender male can get in touch with the divine by getting in touch with his feminine side. And by getting in touch with his feminine side, especially through Krishna, you can get, you can be more attractive to heterosexual women. So it's both a way to get the ladies and a way to get enlightened through the divine. That's not that much different than today. Yeah. (laughs) When I got married, I was a total asshole. You know, I had to become somewhat nicer of a person and understand my feelings before, uh, you know, my wife was willing to put up with me for the 16 years we've been together. So uh, there is some practical knowledge in there as well. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of sense. There's the Yoruba god of um, what was it? of healing, um, whose name has escaped me right now, which isn't good. I think it's Oshun, or I'll look it up in a second. But um, what he was about was he was this you know very fierce healing deity, very masculine, but he was also the goddess of the rivers, and he would change into a woman. Huh. And because he could understand a woman so much, um, the female goddess of love married him because, oh, here's a man who understands women. Then she got upset because he also liked men and would go off into the woods with the god of war and start, you know, having jam sessions and play music. And then they <laughs> developed a relationship and then he stopped coming to her. And it was this, it's this whole kind of Melrose Place drama where things are happening. That's amazing. Oh, oh, and there's so much of this. Yeah. We want him to understand a woman, but not too well. You know, <laughs> kind of what she was thinking. Like, oh, I want you to understand a woman, but not too well. <laughs> Wait, not like that. <laughs> right, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's throughout everywhere. Another one is in, in the Inuit culture, um, Sedna, who's the lesbian goddess of death in the sea. And her Ooh, whole... Like her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Goth girlfriend. Her, her whole thing was um, she didn't want to marry anybody. She was just not interested in marriage. But, you know, Related. her father really wanted her to get married to continue the line and have babies. So she jokingly married a dog to like, like, oh, look, dad, I'm finally getting married. You should be happy. Ha, ha, ha. Well, he got upset and killed her and threw her into. Yeah, I know. Killed her, threw her into the ICC. And she found a lesbian lover there. So she was like, no, I'm uh-huh. cool. I'm just going to stay down here now. I found someone I love. Um, and her and I are also going to take vengeance upon all of humanity in you by withholding the bounty of the sea if you don't treat me right anymore. And so happy ending. A happy ending for her. I mean, she's, 
Yeah, we're really excited like about it, and she it's controls life and death for the Inuit people up in Alaska and Canada. Now, in that culture, is that any sort of you know? I mean, I don't mean to roll to the negative, but I mean that is the world that we live in here. Is that any vilification of her sexuality? Why she was put in that role with that? No, it was just because she was being a rebellious daughter. I see. It wasn't that she was gay. It's just that she wasn't getting married. Yeah, she wasn't. She wasn't following tradition. I see. Right. And that was more important because the family honor, the family shame. Right. You know, because I was thinking about that earlier, like uh, we were talking about how um, queer people throughout history were put into this role of uh, spiritualization from walking both sides. We're automatically putting the two on them, man, woman, man, woman. Um, and then you were talking about how even today pagans uh, and belief in, in natural um, magic would question that. And is there, I assume that there's a lot of belief that they're there because of their unnaturalness, because of their connection to the other side. It's not necessarily the man, woman being both sides, but the fact that this person is being unnatural connects them to the unnatural. Does that make sense how I'm putting it? It does. It, and I get it. I get it. I would say, I would say it's more, I wasn't say it's a mix that they're both, but it's the fact it's when you take away labels, labels are very powerful. If you can say this is this and that is that you can kind of control and understand your world. But if you have this thing that has no label and you cannot pinpoint it, they're not saying they're men. They're not saying they're women there's no definition for them in your culture, you can't pinpoint that. And so you can't right. grasp it. You can't hold it down. And it becomes this nebulous liminal thing. And the other nebulous liminal things you have are like the big questions, death, God, religion, spirituality. So they kind of start falling into that category of things we cannot explain and cannot understand and cannot even put words to. So it must be in the same category. I'm right. just imagining like an unexplained podcast, you know, Bigfoot, UFOs, gay people. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's just. <laughs> well, you just, you apparently you're on it. Which apparently is us now that I realize because we're doing this topic. But <laughs> All right. Well, we're coming up at the end of our time here, uh, Thomas. I've really uh, enjoyed this conversation. Um, you know, a lot of insight into the history. Yeah, a lot of good stuff. A lot of insight into the into the current day and age, especially with what's going on in the world. I think it's a time that people are looking for that, looking for some insight into things that they don't understand. So I'm really happy that I had a chance to pick your brain about some of this stuff. I think it's uh, very cool. I would love to have you back on. I'm going to have to edit out the gardener that just came by my door. Um, I'm going to, I'd love to have you back on to talk about Morbid Magic, your other book. I think that's something that Kara and I would totally enjoy talking about. Absolutely. And also, I have one request for your next book, and that is the history of queerness in horror films. Oh, horror films is my obsession. And the Babadook. Yeah, horror. I love the Babadook. You know, one thing that definitely uh, sticks out. Is uh, the 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 main baddie in Stargate? You know, there's there's lots of of great um, things on both sides there to pick apart. So that's my horror movie. And then uh, Kara, I'm sure, has something with vampires. Oh, absolutely. And uh, before we go, one more time, uh, where where can people find your new book? Um, oh, it, also that that um, African God is Erinle. If you want to look that up, the one Erinle, absolutely. Yeah. But um, if you want, if you want to look me up, um, I'm on the social media everywhere under my name T O M A S P R O W E R Tomas Brower. Um, I, I was about to say, you know, you can go to a bookstore, but maybe you can go to a bookstore. <laughs> right. Yeah. But um, no, I'm. You can go online, check out the books, um, buy from your local if you can online. Um, and yeah, you hit me up on social media if you want to learn more. You know, I don't bite. Um, face, Facebook's probably the best place. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I don't, I'm trying to build those. So I don't really tweet when I don't really Instagram, but it's there. But if you yeah. joined, you might start. I mean, you know, we got to start somehow. We get a bunch of people to join. You'll be, uh, 
Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Just, just social media. I have a website, which is my name again, T-O-M-A-S-P-R-O-W-E-R. But yeah, if you just type in Tomas Prower into Google, you'll find some way to contact me or you'll find some of my books and stuff. So hit me up on there. Yeah. Cool. Well, we've really enjoyed having you on. Uh, this was a, a very fun conversation, you know. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And uh, we hope to have you on again. Please consider coming back on to talk about morbid magic, death, spirituality, and culture from around the world. Uh, sounds like a fun topic as well. Uh, and thank you. You've been listening to Thomas Brower right here on The Wasteland. Welcome to the radio.